John C. Savage. And I'm Claudia F. Savage. And we're Thick in the Throat Honey. The podcast where parent artists share how to fit art making into their already full lives. Inspirational quickies. In under 30 minutes. Welcome to Thick in the Throat, honey. I'm Claudia F. Savage. And I'm John Savage. And we are excited for our first podcast today. Um, I wanted to say something like, pardon the dust. You know how you do when it's a new building and you're just opening up a new thing? I I don't really know what you do that's comparable in a podcast. We just have dust in our garage. Yeah, we do, because we're doing this in our garage, like most people that do their podcast, you know. I I like to think of this as our studio, but... Truly, I mean, you should see what we have up here to buffer sound. It's pretty amusing. Um, we uh, So today we're going to focus on my story and John's story a little bit, just to give you guys kind of a preview into what we're going to be talking about with various parent artists in the coming months. Um, I'm pretty excited about it. How about you, John? I'm excited about it, too. We have a whole roster of people and we need to start contacting them. Yes, we do. What are you revealing our business plans? My goodness, John is just taking you behind the curtain and we haven't even started. Okay, well, um, yes, we do have to contact all of our people. Some of them we've sort of contacted a little bit. You mean, like, you mean the blue sheet that's hanging behind the computer? Don't talk about it. I'm telling you, it's just bad. <laughs> yes, and I can actually see a spider. You see that spider up there on the wall? Ooh. Um, okay, so uh, that being said, that being said about our spiders and our sheet, um, we're going to just talk a little bit about, I thought actually I'd start because I, I would read you guys a poem. Now, don't all of you turn off now. I know everyone's like, oh, a poem. I'm going to... Um, but... The reason we're going to do this is because one of the things we're asking our parent artists to do um, is to provide kind of information about both their practice and also about their studio space. That's what I'm kind of most excited about. Hopefully we'll have some videos you guys can reference showing how people are really practicing art with kids. And I'm kind of hoping it's going to be total chaos with like, you know, someone's easel somewhere and then toys everywhere. What do you think, John? (laughs) You mean the toys you step on in the morning when you get out of bed? Yes, exactly. The toys everywhere. Even though we we do a pretty good job. We only have one kid, but we have friends that have, you know, three children, four children that are making art. And, you know, you kind of just, yeah, every morning you're bleary-eyed and you you land on some squeaky toy or something. Or you do what I did the other morning, which was we have this thermos for River uh, for putting hot food in for her lunch at preschool. And I filled it with hot water that I used to make tea, put it on the stove. And then for some reason, I picked it up later and tore, tore off the top and spilled hot boiling water over my feet, which was really a pleasant way to wake up. Wow. I, mi- I missed all that because I am a lazy poet and I stay in bed in the morning. And John usually takes care of our daughter at least the first 20 minutes or so. So 20 so, minutes. All right. Well, maybe 40, 45. Hey, a woman has needs, you know, like this is the only time as a mother. Hey, we'll be talking about that in another podcast. We'll be talking about that in another, another podcast, you know, like sometimes you just, you need your space. And I got up a lot with our daughter when she was small. So now when she's, now she's four and I take a moment. So anyway. let's, let's hear some poetry. All right, let's hear some poetry. Because that's what everybody wants to hear on a podcast, right? It, it's totally true. And, and here's the thing. This is from my latest book. 
um, Bruising Continents. It just came out from Spite and Dival Press. Nobody can pronounce that, but Spite and Dival is a neighbor in the Bronx, and this particular publisher is out of Brooklyn. And um, it just came out, Bruising Continents. And strangely enough, it's about my love affair. And with John, um, among other things, among landscapes, they call it eco-poetics, but it's kind of like eco-poetics slash love story. So I'm going to read um, a very quick poem, an excerpt of a poem um, that explains our name. Um, so here we go for our duo. I'll blame it on the jungle. The bees knew, their wings heavy through the soupy air. That constant sound of armadillos snuffling the dead leaves, long tongues poking for treasure. I hated heat until that month. I'll blame it on the lizard that got lost in my room and pulsed its giant red throat when I cupped it in my hand. Everything was a heartbeat. I'll blame it on the night you asked me to walk the bamboo bridges above the canopy, dared me to stare at three-foot spiderwebs in lamplight. That month, nothing scared me. Not the giant spiders full of fur. Not the alligators swimming beside our rooms. Not the fire ants that ravaged my toes. I was the flame. The webs, harbingers of moonlight. Intricate stars, intricate pattern of my heart. You found me and wove music through my hair. Six days the Everglades burned. We might have made that persimmon moon. Fat, round joy. Into the lantern-lit ocean. Sparked once more. Once more. Thick in the throat. Honey. Thanks, John. Nothing like a poetry reading it. 11.30 in the morning. That's right. That's what, that's what everybody's looking for. I, I do want to say, this sort of segues into what we're kind of going to be talking about a bit about ourselves. Um, that, that particular poem, it's a much longer poem. There's many segments to it. And I only read a little teeny snippet of it. Just so you guys could get the thick in the throat honey, which is, later became John and my duo. Um, and our now, band name, basically. It's our band name. Um, and then, you know, then we decided to name our business it and, and on and on. So here we are. Um, but I do want to say that that particular poem, uh, was one of the first poems I published after having my daughter. Um, and I published it in a publication called the Denver Quarterly, which for you writers out there, you know, that's pretty, pretty happening publication, um, literary magazine wise, it was kind of in my top 20. And so I just wanted to say this, that it was a strange situation that I had tried for so many years before I had River to get into these sort of better publications as a poet. And suddenly having her, I just, I, I got bold, you know, I got really bold. I just kind of, that was my evolution as a poet was. You really opened the throttle. I did. On getting this thing published. Yeah. Because I remember, because I've been there, you really hit it hard. Yeah, I think that's it. I think, you know, when we talk about who we are as artists um, and the shift, and we're going to be talking about this more with other parent artists as well, but that shift of, of, uh, when John met me, I had been a poet, oh, since I was about 19, and I'd been writing poetry um, a good number of years at that point. I was in my 30, early 30s, and um, I, you know, I really enjoyed writing poetry. I'd put out a couple chapbooks, and, um, and those are little tiny books for people who aren't writers. They're like small amounts of poems versus like a big full collection, like the one I just put out. Um, and And it was, you know, the kind of thing where... I felt good about what I was writing, but, um, 
there wasn't that same impetus as after you have kids. You just feel that feeling of like, I have to get my work out in the world, like for many reasons as a mother, one of which, not the least of which is that you're kind of just consumed with the needs of this other person and maintaining your artistic practice is one of the only ways you stay sane, at least for me. Well, I think sometimes as artists, we have these big moments uh, in our artistic lives and certainly having a child has been the probably the biggest moment for either of us. Um, I'd like to ask you, though, Claudia, a couple questions I think people would be interested in knowing about. One is, first of all, um, on the subject of big moments, yeah. um, what, what were some big moments that led you to being a poet? I mean, was, was there a performance? Was it something you read yeah, once? Yeah, I love that question. I do want to caveat it with, um, I sort of became a poet based on the fact that I was a musician for so many years. I think even though I was an avid reader, I was a musician first. I played the piano and I played the cello in all those stuffy classical ways that you can imagine I did. Um, but that enabled me to have sort of a really keen ear. And so I've always kind of approached poetry from two directions. One is looking for things that are musical. And the second is looking for people that are um, seeking something, uh, especially kind of a way out of despair. Um, and often that means that I'm, I'm really interested in poets who uh, talk about their spiritual life in some way. So the first poet I'm thinking of that really kind of opened me up and made me go, oh my gosh, I've got to do this in my life forever was Lee Young Lee. Um, he's an amazing poet. His father was uh, a doctor to Mao Zedong. Can you believe that? It's the weirdest thing ever. And they had to flee the communists. So I adore you him. You wouldn't think he'd kick his doctor out. But oh, his know. doctor was like not happy with what was going on. His doctor had opinions. You don't want to have a doctor with opinions. Hey, you're kind of yeah. a doctor with opinions. I'm a doctor with opinions. That's why we're here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so he was amazing. And I did study with him um, briefly in Rhode Island. So uh, where he was swarmed by women. Swarmed, I tell you. Because he's Handsome gorgeous. guy, right? Gorgeous. Oh my gosh. You know, I have to say, Liang Lee, he is the first man bun guy I've ever seen. Like, unbelievable. <laughs> he was. He had the man bun before it was uh, in vogue? Yes, definitely. He had the man <laughs> bun. He had big, thick glasses. He's from Chicago. He's just, yeah, he's a gorgeous man. So uh, that's what I was going to say. To me, that was sort of my big, it was a big defining moment to me, was reading his work. And then I later found out, you know, he was um, banned in a lot of states for all this work about the body, which is a huge concern of mine. Um, yeah, what do you mean by... I've heard you use the term uh, the landscape of the body or uh, you referenced eco-poetics. What are, what are those things? How do they work together for you? Yeah, I mean, eco-poetics normally is sort of this big term that's, that's bantered about. It means kind of like you're writing about the natural world, okay, um, from an environmental perspective often. And, you know, my, my latest book, Bruising Continents, talks about um, the natural world in terms of uh, places that I was visiting, like Colorado and North Carolina and Oregon, and, and uses those things to describe the landscape of the world and the beauty of the natural world. And then I re reference that back to the beauty of my lover's body and the beauty of my body with my lover. So Lee Young Lee is, you know, he also, the, the poems that were banned, I mean, there's one specific one I always think about um, where he's talking just about making love to his wife and that um, she has to get up to nurse the baby and she brings the baby back to bed and they finish making love. And so... Um, that was banned in, I'm sorry, shout out to the Southern States, but that was banned in a lot of Southern States, uh, for a while in the nineties. Um, and you know, 
so I've always been really fascinated by that and, and sort of like that, that pull between, um, the spiritual and, you know, the bodily desires. Yeah. Um, something else you mentioned, uh, was that you were a musician, you were a, a pianist when you were younger and, uh, how much music figured into your life. And I, I think that's something I love about your poetry is how musical it is. It has, it has sound, it has intonation to it. Yeah. Um, I, I think the English language, when you know, when spoken well or written well, I mean, what, whatever it is, a poem or the Bible, it, it's it's beautiful and and so much poetry. And I've I've you know I, I read a little poetry before <laughs> I met you. Yeah. Um, you talk about your Allen Ginsberg experience. Yeah. I had I had an Allen Ginsberg defining moment. He he was at Cinema Twenty One on in Northwest Portland, and <laughs> and it, I saw him in high school, and it was amazing. And yeah, uh, he was very amazing. He had a wonderful way to read, <laughs> and he also played. I, I believe a, I guess I could call a harmonium and sang and, yeah, and it was gorgeous. it really it really made an impact on me and I, I wonder if you could just you know talk a little bit about how you think of sound and now music in, in your work yeah I mean I think this is part of it I think anyone whether they're a fiction writer or a poet or whoever it is you want that that sound connects us to the body you know that, that that's to me I'm, I'm ch- thumping on my chest as I say that because that that's a lot of what I talk about with my students is like Sound connects us to the body, and and you and, and I see it uh, with our child actually how she's now really accessing language, and how when she's learning to rhyme, she'll make up rhymes, and it's just so fabulous, you know, thrum hum mum bum 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 gum, <laughs> and she'll kind of do this thing, and and I think that that um, if we're not pursuing that in poetics, then we're not doing a service to the art. So um, there, that's that. Well, it makes it a lot juicier to be a musician performing with a poet in my opinion i mean i I can see where there'd be circumstances where you might want something different but i really like it from the musical traditions that i i really enjoy yeah me too and it doesn't necessarily mean that everything has to have an ending rhyme like dr seuss but you know it it could be not that i'm saying anything bad about dr seuss because man could that man he understood meter like no one else um so (laughs) (laughs) it's really fun reading those books to our daughter right now Oh, and by the way, just to mention, the theme song of Thick in the Throat Honey oh, is, yeah. is composed by John. Yeah, so uh, I'm not reading any poetry today, uh, or, <laughs> or, or <laughs> but the, the theme song is, is the representation of me. So that's uh, a tune, a blues tune I wrote for flute specifically. Uh, it has uh, some interesting notes in there that are two at once. Uh, it's called 34th Avenue for Life, Baby. Um, I want to put a shout out to uh, Bill Athens, who played bass on that, who also has a son, and Ken Aulis, the drummer, who has two daughters. So they're both parent artists themselves, uh, working in jazz and other musics. Um, but yeah, I love that that song. We thought it would be a good a good one for the this podcast. Yeah, because being being a parent artist has that feeling of sort of. That gritty, you know, you got to get down to business, you know, here you are. Yes, you got to get down to business. You got to get down to business and you're like changing diapers and then you have to go, you know, write a sonnet. It's really insane. Um, I do, I do want to say this, John, I do want to sort of talk just briefly about yourself and, and maybe you could say like a, a defining moment for you and in terms of you becoming the musician you are today. You know, we talk a lot about your evolution from going from Portland to to New York and yeah, I just would kind of like to know 
sort of how you, you switched out, how you became a flutist and saxophonist and all that stuff. Well, my father played flute, and as did his brother, my uncle. And um, so I, you know, playing the flute seems sort of natural. I got one uh, this summer uh, before seventh grade. And, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I just, I liked it. I just continued to play it. And, and through high school, I think uh, music and, mm-hmm. really became uh, uh, a deep, place for me to deal with what, what was becoming a difficult family life yes. at, at the time. We'll, we'll, we'll say that much. And, um, and so I, I, really, I really loved it. And my next door neighbor, uh, who, uh, Earl Miner, who was a well-known <laughs> uh, teacher and saxophonist, clarinetist, and as I heard him once say, defensive flutist, uh, what does that mean? I, I, <laughs> Defensive. Yeah, a lot of people like flute. Flute is the the difficult double for many if they start start on clarinet or oh, saxophone, okay. or in Earl's case, accordion. So, um, but you you found it as a great way to meet girls because it was like well, you that's and all what the my girls. father told me. He said, you know, <laughs> and it wasn't considered very masculine to play flute either, uh, which is odd because it used to be considered masculine a long time ago. So masculine women weren't allowed to women play it. Women weren't allowed to play it. It's big uh, phallic in symbol. Earlier in the room. centuries. No, yes. no, definitely not. Um, but, you know, uh, post-war America, you know, rock and roll took over. And so uh, <laughs> flute not considered a very masculine uh, instrument. So I got I got kitted a lot. But my dad always said it's a great way to meet girls. There you um, go. So, uh, Smart man. He was right about that. I mean, you're sitting in a flute section, and you're the only guy usually. So, yeah. um, but I, you know, I, I wanted to play something a bit louder in, in high school. I was in pep band, and I, the flute wasn't cutting it for me. So, uh, you know, Earl also uh, he was my teacher next lived next door, and and so he also got me playing saxophone. And uh, jazz was was wonderful. It, it 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 introduced me to just being able to jam with people. Yeah. And so in high school, like I said, it provided me some. Uh, you know, shelter from the storm of my life. And uh, I would jam with my friends after school, um, playing kind of psychedelic rock, blues, some some covers, um, some really bad, well, what we thought was jazz that kind of was and wasn't, maybe fusion. Um, But it really got me started playing more by ear and jamming. And, uh, you know, and I that that was wonderful, and then I, I ended up becoming a, a music major in college, um, and went through the classical flute study. And it you know I became rather bored. I honestly I, I was still playing jazz and playing saxophone. That was exciting, but my degree uh, in flute was kind of in, into my second year. I was getting a little you know antsy. Um, and then and then uh, they had these lunchtime concerts. We all had to attend uh, for credit. And, of course, I usually missed most of them and had to take it over. I don't know why. <laughs> because you were hungry? Oh, I was hungry. You had hungry. to go get a sandwich? I had to eat. Or, right. you know, I went to go practice. That was the one. Everyone went and practiced and didn't watch right. the concert. Right. Uh, but this particular day, I brought a sandwich, and I went to the concert, and it was uh, flutist uh, Will Offerman's and his wife and collaborating partner, Junko Uida, um, who at that time both uh, were residing in Amsterdam, and uh, Will and Junko now uh, live in Spain. And he's and he's Dutch and she's Japanese. And, is that exactly, right? exactly. And and they have had an improvising duo together for a long time. And when they played, it was amazing. When I heard Will play that flute, 
it, it's like time stopped. And I literally uh, dropped my peanut butter sandwich on the floor of the <laughs> recital hall. Uh, you were allowed that's, to eat there, but I dropped it on the that's floor. That's the best endorsement for a performer ever. I dropped my sandwich while I was listening to you. Yeah. And anyone who knows me knows how voraciously hungry yeah. I get. So He's, John's a big man, so uh, he, he eats a lot. Yeah. So that really just changed it all for me. I heard him play. I heard him do things on the flute that I had some inkling about or that I wanted to do. It was, it was, it was like this gift was given to me of what I had been waiting for. And it really opened up my musicianship and made me better in every way and sort of set me on a path. Um, and here I am today. There you are. And, and John has played in, we've mentioned this before, but he's played all over New York and played with a lot of amazing musicians. And you had also mentioned that you played with Andrew Hill and he was a teacher of yours here in Portland. And then he's a, a very famous um, jazz pianist. And then also you played with him in New York, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, it was a turning point again, working with him uh, in Portland briefly. But um, my experience that I just described with the flute really opened up a bunch of things. I, I think I could, I could hear what he was talking about and it just made me a much better player and improviser. Um, you know, and so then I, when I went to New York, he asked me to play, uh, in his big band, uh, and which was, of course, just a wonderful privilege and opportunity and something I'll never forget. Um, and yeah, that album, uh, the, there was an album released from uh, one of those sessions uh, called uh, A Beautiful Day. So, yeah, it's on our website, actually. You can check yeah. it out. It, John sounds amazing on it. Amazing flutist. Um, so yeah, so this is sort of the story of things. And uh, while in New York, I, I got my doctorate uh, at NYU in music, uh, studying flute and uh, basically getting my degree in, in, in improvisation. Which is so. super cool. And, we, and, you know, it's pretty much what we do every day around here. Yeah, when you have kids, it's all about improvising. I mean, we improvise every day of our lives. But when you have a child, you're, you're definitely doing a dance and you don't know what the steps are. Yes, you're, you're, you're definitely you're getting, getting, yeah. I have a, doctor in improvisa- a doctorate in improvisation. I didn't write a thesis for it, though. But You, you gave know, birth. I, I gave I mean, birth and an, I have a four-year-old. I, I mean... <laughs> That that in itself is an act of improvisation, giving birth. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that, you know, we talk about a lot that we're going to be talking with artists um, from all over that have many different ways of being in the world. And, and one of the things we're going to definitely ask them is sort of, you know, how did they come to even practice their art? But then how are they, you know, shifting that practice? I mean, we do shift our practice all the time, uh, just by virtue of just being alive, you know, people get sick and, and people have to care for parents and people have to care for their children and people lose jobs. I mean, there's a million different reasons why our practice shifts in terms of what we need to do. But, um, I do think it's going to be really fascinating. We're going to have people that we talk to that are, you know, single parents, and we're going to have people that have multiple kids. We have people that are, have twins and practice all different kinds of art forms. So that, that to me is going to be really exciting. And we also want the truth. Yes. about what people do to make ends meet. Yeah, that's, this is a big thing that we, John and I talk about all the time. We both, um, we have both quit full-time jobs in order to be home with our daughter more uh, in the past. And, and it, it does depress us. I mean, he did just say that he got his doctorate from NYU, which I know a lot of you listening out there are going, really? I'm shutting off this podcast now. But Well, as, as one of my uh, colleagues in New York said, a friend of mine said, uh, well, scholarship kid, and uh, well, yeah, and uh, yeah. <laughs> right. So I got um, a 
you know, my, I, I, I played, I sang for my supper and I, yes. I got my doctorate paid for. So I'm very, I'm very lucky in that regard. Uh, and actually I think I did it with my art, honestly. Right. I, right. I, you know, I wasn't going to get a full ride, uh, you know, as uh, as an MBA in the business school there, that that wasn't going to happen. No, <laughs> right. I was just going to say right, and, and and I when I was in graduate school, I I you know got a lot of my graduate school paid for by being um, a research assistant to a wonderful man. I'm going to give a shout out to Zhen Jing, who I believe is is now a big administrator in the California university system, but at the time he was at Colorado State as a historian, and I adored working with him. So. Um, and he, and what was interesting about him too, is he had three children. And now that I think about it, like watching him write book after book, you know, he had a, he had a little baby boy and then two young girls. And I realize now I was, you know, I was so young at the time I was 23, but he must've just been, you know, in his early forties and man, he was just making, writing book after book. It was unbelievable with three small kids. So yeah, major hard. Major art. Well, he was, he had the benefit of being in a university system. He did. He did. And his Um, wife was a software developer. So, you know. Yeah, software developer. I know. But I mean, I think this is part of it. We're going to definitely be talking. We're excited to be talking to people who make their art in all different ways. But the one thing they have in common is that all of them are seriously practicing artists. Um, So... So we look forward, uh, we hope you look forward to uh, listening yeah. a little more and seeing how people do it. Um, you can catch us at thickinthethroathoney.com. And uh, what else? What else are we uh, on? We're on Medium. Our blog is on medium.com. And we're also on Instagram soon, we hope. Uh, we're also, you can subscribe to this podcast on our website. Um, and we're on iTunes and SoundCloud. We're going to have some of these podcasts up as well as wonderful examples of our artistic work. Yes. And, uh, with, with the podcasts again, all in under 30 minutes, uh, 20 to 30 minutes about we, because who has any more time if they have kids? Yeah, really? really? We, we I, hope I mean, you're like cooking dinner right now or, you know, running around. Maybe you're taking your one, you know, morning run of the, of the, of the month or whatever you get get to have. (laughs) So thank you so much for tuning in and spending some time with us. We look forward to your questions and conversations in the future. Take care.